today we are going to finish our study in the book of Genesis. We've done chapters 1 through 10. We're now going to do chapter 11. So find Genesis, first book in the Old Testament. Kind of hard to miss. It's the first one that starts it. Find chapter 11. Because this is going to answer some questions about what's going on in the world. What's happening? But while you're looking for it, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had God put on your heart something that he wants you to do that you were afraid to do? And I remember growing up as a kid, you know, everybody would say, Lord, use me. Use my life and take me to do great things. Just don't send me to Africa. Or, you know, growing up in Michigan, don't send me to Ohio because that there are rivals in football, you know. And don't send me somewhere I don't want to go. Lord, send me somewhere I want to be to do what I want to do and just let me have my own way, Lord. Uh, by the way, that's not a church hymn. It's have thine own way, not have mine own way. Anyways, has God ever asked you to do something and you knew it? You knew in your heart God was asking you to step up and do a thing. But you didn't want to do it because maybe one, it was too hard, too scary, too far from home. Maybe you thought it would cost you too much. Maybe you would have to give up plans that you had for your life for plans that God was putting in that place. And that's usually what happens. God says, I want you to do this. And you go, Lord, but I don't want to do that. It's too far from home. It's too hard, too difficult. It's not the job I want. It's not the career or the life that I was expecting. That's where we are in chapter 11. God has given man a commandment. He says, multiply on the face of the earth and subdue everything. Go out throughout the entire earth. He's done it twice now. Go out through the entire earth populate the earth and subdue it or bring it under control, control it. People said, okay, that sounds good. But what happened is this, we get to chapter 11 and people saw that obeying God was going to be difficult, that obeying God was going to be difficult because they didn't want to do what God was asking them to do. Now, of course, we know that God sees the long picture. He sees everything involved in the decisions that he puts on our heart. We can only see the short term. We can only see what it's going to mean for me today or this week or this year. So we never are really willing to trust God. Isn't that weird? We are willing to trust God with eternity. We are willing to trust God with where we will spend eternity, whether that be in heaven with him or in hell with the devil. We trust God with that decision, which is huge. But we don't trust God when it comes to the person to date or the job to take or the decisions that we make on a day-to-day -day basis. If we're going to go through the story, I want you to see this. The earth after this will be united no more. Right now they're united. They just got off the boat. They're all family. They're all right there. They're one people. But God has said, take the earth. Take the earth means split up. Go where I send you, do what I tell you to do. Now, this story has three familiar acts because they're the same three acts that happen in your life every time God calls you to make a decision. Where, where to go to school, what, what to do with your life, who to date, who to be with. God calls us to do these things, and there's these three decisions. Three decisions you have to make. The first one is this. See if you recognize them in your life. One. Men do not listen to God. 
Now that includes women. Women have the same issue men do. We hear, we understand, but we don't want to hear what God has to say. Genesis 11.1. At one point, the whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. Now last week, they were describing the descendants of Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And they said each one lived in this place and had their own language and their own culture. That told you that comes after this. So here's the moment where everything changes. At one point, the whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, remember they settled in the mountains of Ararat, and they came down toward the east. Now some people say they came directly east from the area of Iran. They came from the mountains this way. But the mountains of Ararat we know today are actually north and east. So they would have come down a little different direction if you think that the ark is up there. So it says they uh, migrated from the east and they found a valley in the land of Shinar and they settled there. Remember Shinar was the population of who? Ham. Ham becomes the father of all the people in the land of Shinar, which is the land of Babylon. So it says this. And they settled there. They said to each other, come, now mark these words down, because you will see a problem here. Come, let us make oven fire bricks. They used bricks for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, here's the reason. Why do you want to do the first three things? Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, here's the problem. What did God say do? Go take over the whole earth. Go out, move out, take the world. Now, yes, yeah, easier when you're sitting together, all the same family, all the same people, all the same language. But when God says go and do something, he expects us to listen. What does God say in the book of Acts? Go into all the world and carry the gospel. He wasn't just talking about going into the world to talk to Jewish people who spoke that language. He was saying, go into all the world and talk to all of the people who speak all the different languages, who look different, have different customs. The world is a very diverse place. We have an international missionary sending force as Southern Baptists, we send missionaries to all of the world, to places where they've never heard of America, where they've never heard English, a world where we have to go and adapt if we're going to carry the gospel to these people. So here's the thing. He says, go out and subdue the world. And they said, no, you know what? Let's not do that. God said this, but it's a bad plan. I think we should stay here, and one, we should make these fire-baked bricks that makes the bricks harder, tougher, more able to stand the weight. Let's build a city and a tower. Now, the tower is not the problem. We always focus on the tower of Babel, but it's actually the city. It's the mentality behind it that is an issue. With its top in the sky, let us make a name for ourselves. Now, there's your problem. What is that? Let us make a name for ourselves. It is the oldest sin in the world. It is the sin 
of pride. Consider Joshua 18.3. This is them standing on the border of the promised land. So Joshua said to the people of Israel, how long will you put off going in to take possession of the land which Yahweh, the God of your fathers, has given you? God said, go across there, go and take the land. Well, the first time they went in, they surveyed the land. Oh my goodness, they're giants. They're huge. They're NBA players. Ooh, we're scared. No, God's not big enough to overcome those people. Let's just stay over here where we're safe. God set them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years until everyone who made that decision, everybody of age was dead. They were not allowed to go into the promised land, except for a very few people who had been in favor of going into the land. Now, here's the thing. When people want to follow God, you will always have a few people that want to follow God and a large group that say, no, no, that's too difficult. It's too hard. It will take too much time. It will take too much effort. That's why people build huge churches. And in those huge churches, they put stores and clothing stores and bowling alleys, and they put all kinds of recreational activities, and they put giant million-dollar fish tanks in these huge buildings. Why? So that the world can come to them, and they don't have to go to the world. I'm not saying that's true of every big church. I'm just saying that it seems like people want to build a monument to themselves. I belong to this church. Look how huge we are. Look at how much we have. You don't have to be huge and gigantic to be used of God. A single solitary person who gives their life to Christ wholeheartedly can change an entire community. All they have to do is be faithful to what God's doing. But the people said, you know what? We don't want to go in yet. We're not strong enough. We don't have enough soldiers. We don't have enough weapons. You don't need soldiers and weapons. You need God telling you to go and you believing that God can do it. Yet their pride was in themselves, their own power, their own strength. It's never about what you can do. It's about what God can do through you. Many of us think, oh, I'm at a place in my life where I want to retire. I'm old. I'm crippled. I'm worn out. But you're never too old and crippled and worn out to be used by God. You may not be in a pulpit. You may not be a musician. You may not be a Sunday school teacher. But God can use you anywhere that you are. Anywhere you are. And, you know, we talk about Lottie Moon who went to China. Do you know how she won people to Christ? She made cookies. She was a white woman living in China at a time when there were, no, there were no white women living in China. How did she impact those kids? She would open the back door of her house, the little house she lived in. And I've, I've lived there. I've seen those houses. And she was one of the very few people that had an oven. Because Chinese don't use ovens. They use woks and they cook things, stir fry. She would make cookies, leaving the door open, and the smell would go out into the streets, and the children would come around for the cookies. And when they're having the cookies, she could share with them the love of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? A woman who won the world to Christ by baking cookies. That's what God could do with a willing person, a willing soul. Now it says, let us build a city, let us build a tower. This famous tower, okay, Migdala, that's what the tower was. But it wasn't just a tower like we think of towers. 
like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. This was a pyramid-shaped tower. In fact, I believe the name actually means a pyramid of flowers or, or a triangular-shaped building. Now here, right when the world had been cleansed, the world had been wiped free, what happens? A guy named Nimrod founds a city. And he says, you know what? Why should we spread out? We are more powerful if we stay together. We can do anything we want to do because we are one people. That wasn't God's plan. Building the tower was not the problem. The reason they built it, pride, rebellion, disobedience to God, that was the problem. Now, the Tower of Babel was most likely a ziggurat. A ziggurat is a generic term used for triangular-shaped pyramids. Did you know that there are ziggurats in every country in the world? Anywhere there are people, there are ziggurats. There are these pyramid-shaped buildings. They even have ziggurats in China. And you know what's weird? They all look the same. They all have the same basic, they're called step pyramids because they're built in steps. They would basically use levers to lift a stone up, 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 and they would build this thing higher, higher and higher. Why do they all basically look the same? If we all grew out of different parts of the world and we evolved from different animals and all this stuff, why do they all look the same? I'll tell you why they look the same. Because everybody who built them remembered this one, this first one that they built after they got off the ark, after they settled in this land. From the time of the ark to the time of Peleg, we talked about him last week. Someone asked me how long is a generation? Well, there were five generations, so roughly a hundred years between that time and this time. Between that time of coming off the ark together in gratitude to God, building an altar and worshiping, to this time when they are building an altar to themselves. They are building a monument to their own ingenuity. We see that all the time. People build structures to honor themselves, to praise themselves. People stick their names on things to show people how great and how amazing that they are. So these ziggurats are all over the world. They all look the same. Why? Because the same people who built the Tower of Babel were dispersed throughout the earth and they built those towers too. And they built them exactly like the one that they started with in the plains of Shinar. In fact, Marco Polo, when he was traveling to China, records in his annals, I have seen and I beheld the Tower of Babel. And he described a step pyramid that he saw in the plains in the desert. And he believed that to be the Tower of Babel, although the, the description of it doesn't match this. So he probably saw a ziggurat. He did not see the ziggurat. Now notice how they wanted to build it. They wanted to build it up into the heavens. If you go throughout South America, these, these Aztec temples are built so that there's a, a small cubicle on top. And it was believed that by going up the steps, ascending into the heavens, that man in his own importance could look God eye to eye and commune with God as if he were equal. There's the sin of Babylon thinking that we in our own ingenuity, our own intelligence, our own strength, that we can make ourselves equal to the one who made us. And that will always be the sin of man, thinking that we can become gods. In fact, there's a church that actually teaches, 
If you follow all the rules, you will become a God. And you can have your own planet and they will worship you for all eternity because you have followed all the rules. I've never heard a stupider thing in my life, but here it is. This is exactly the mistake that they made. So men did not listen to God. They didn't do what God told them to do. God wanted them to go over the earth and subdue it. But now he's going to have to do something about it. So men did not listen. So God had to divide them up. The only way that God could do it. Genesis 11.5, then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Let me translate that. These people are so arrogant that they believe if they can build this city, they can build this tower, then they will be unified together in rebellion against me. See, there's a reason Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden. Remember, we talked about this. They got kicked out, denied access to the tree of life so that they would not eat of the tree of life and be eternally separated from God. Whenever we think we can ensure our own righteousness, we can ensure our own salvation by the things that we do or the monuments we build, then we are eternally separated from God. God did not want all these people that had been spared from the flood and their descendants, their children, built up over those hundred years. He did not want them to become arrogant and self-sufficient, so he had to break them. The only way that God could do it. Come, let us go down. That us, by the way, is a reference to the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, coexisting as one, yet three, three beings, if you don't understand that, join the rest of us because we don't get it either. We know that the Trinity is reality. We know that that is what it is. But there is no earthly way for us to explain or understand the Trinity. It is simply a spiritual reality that we have to accept. And there it is for that one. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. We know exactly what God did. He went with the descendants of Japheth and gave them a language. He went down to the descendants of Ham and gave them a language. He went down to the descendants of Shem and gave them a language. And because they could not understand each other, they would simply annoy one another. They divided up and they went into all corners of the earth. Let us go down to confuse their language so they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babylon. For there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. A people who were united in rebellion were divided by God so that they would fulfill the task he gave them when they came off the ark. God gave them very simple instructions. Coming off the ark, they built the altar, they worshiped God. God said, now be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. He gave them this for the second time. He told them that the first time when God first made them, go ahead, you know, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. They didn't listen. Got kicked out of the garden. Now he has spared them from the flood that destroyed the world gave them a fresh start, and gave them the same instructions he gave man once before. And man would not do it. They were fruitful and they multiplied all right. There was a lot of them. But 
They wanted to stay together to ensure their own power, ensure their own safety. They didn't believe in their God enough to follow him into the corners of the world. There's a lot of people out there who feel the call of God but never do anything about it. I spoke at a church once. We won't mention it. It's not important. Large church, powerful church, wealthy church. And I was speaking as a returning person. I had just come back from overseas. And I said, let me ask you a question. How many of you believe that the ministry is a noble calling? Amen, amen. How many of you believe that the work of the gospel is the most important work on earth? Amen, amen. How many of you ladies would let your children, encourage your children to go into ministry to a life of poverty and hardship, hard work, even sending them into four corners of the earth where they might encounter disease and oppression, even death? How many of you love God enough to send your children out? And not one, amen. Not one, amen. I knew this was a church populated by wealthy people. People who had jobs that paid them a lot of money. People whose desire for their children was to go into that work and make all that money. I asked the lady in the front row, who happened to be the pastor's wife, <laughs> why not send your children? She said, I didn't raise them for that. I raised them for something better. You just sat here and told me that the work of the gospel was the most critical work in the world. You just told me that sharing Christ with people was worth any sacrifice. But what you meant is it's great for somebody else's kids, but my kids are too good to serve God. Is that what you're telling me? There were crickets and I didn't care. I didn't work there. What were they going to do? Fire me? I simply told them the truth and they had to look at it and they didn't like it. They didn't like it because it exposed the truth. Yes, preaching Jesus is so important, but only if you get rich doing it. And there ain't no such thing as rich, rich pastoral work, at least not real pastoral work. There's some of them TV people that you know, make a lot of money, but we won't talk about them today. Babylon continues to be the enemy of God's people throughout its existence. Babylon becomes equated with two things, pride and and rebellion. God will use Babylon under people like Nebuchadnezzar to punish Israel, to rebuke them, to bring them into submission and show them that they are wrong. Then he will deliver them from that oppression so they can then serve him with a whole heart. Of course, they, that, that commitment never lasts. And that's the way the rule is. Bad things happen to us. And we are so serious about God. Oh, I want to get straight. I want to get with God. I want to learn the Bible. And then as soon as things are going well, psh, there goes that commitment. God's only useful when you're hurting. God's only useful when you don't have any other resource. It's amazing to me. People will try everything in the world, meditation, Buddhism, oil, oil, burning candles. They'll do anything before they pray. Then when they have nothing else, I actually had someone tell me this. I said, why are you here praying today? I don't have any other choice. Went to a hospital once. There had been an accident on icy roads in Montana. Prisoners being transported from A to B had flipped over on the icy roads, and one of the drivers was dead, and, and the others were injured. I went in there, and they said, can you go talk 
to this young man. He, he wants someone to talk to. I said, okay, no problem. He said, you put these gloves on him. Why am I putting gloves on? He's HIV positive and he's bleeding. Okay, give me the gloves. We got you. Go in there and, and we're talking and he wants me to pray with him. And he's like, I, I was raised Catholic. Can you get me a rosary? I said, I'll talk to Father Bob, you know, one of my other chaplains, and we'll, we'll, we'll get you a rosary. I came back the next day to visit him. Oh, he doesn't want to see you. Squeeze me? What? Oh, he found out he's better. He's not going to die. He doesn't need you. And I'm like, okay. And I left. Because that is exactly how the world is. God is an emergency plan when everything else you've done fails. God should be our first option, not our last. Last thing I want you to see is this. So men don't listen, okay? We all know that. So God split them up. And sometimes God will separate you from your plans because your plans are not his plans. Can I get an amen if you've ever been in that situation? Last thing which is this. When God takes away something from your life, splits you up, splits up the people, he will raise up a champion to continue the story. Now we're, we're currently in verse 9. We're going to skip from 10 down to 26. Because there's a long list of names there, and I embarrassed myself bad enough last week with those names. We're going to skip down to the only name that matters. The only name that matters. We're going to go to Genesis eleven twenty six. If you feel so compelled, you can go back and read all those names. But the name you need to see is right here. Genesis eleven twenty six. Terah lived 70 years and fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. These are the family records of Terah. Terah's name you should be familiar with because his son's going to become real important real fast. So it says this. Um, so Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Ah, now there's a name we know, don't we? We know who Lot is because his story gets really interesting when we talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. But keep going. Haran died in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans during his father Terah's lifetime. Abram and Nahor took wives. Abram's wife was Sarai. Aha. Now, Abram, we know. Sarai, we know. Only we know them as who? Abraham, Sarah. The only difference between these names and the names we know is the inclusion of one mark. It's called a hey. A hey is a little mark that you put on a name. It's called the breath mark. It literally means breathing. So Abram was one man until God touched him, breathed on him that hey, and he became Abraham. Sarai was a woman who was touched by God with that same breath, that same movement, that same, dare I say, spirit. And she became Sarah. She became a different woman. Whoever you were when you got saved, God breathed on you. He breathed into you the breath of life. You added a hey to your name. Because that means you are changed. Now look at this. Nahor's wife was called Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was unable to conceive. Now we know that from later stories. She did not have a child. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, we know that brother, Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, Sarai, 
his son Abram's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Abram's destination was Canaan, but their journey was interrupted only for a short time because we know later God himself will step back into this and he will send Abram to where he needs to be. Sometimes there's an interruption in your life. There's an interruption in your journey. Don't think that God is done with you. He may put you somewhere for a time. I always say, in everyone's life, there is a time and a reason and a season. You may not be somewhere for a long time. You may only be there for a reason, to do something, and then for a season of time. And when the season is time is done, it's time for you to move on. It says this, They set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. The name Abram, by the way, means exalted father. Woo, talk about God predicting what's going to happen to this man. He should have known from his name that something important was about to happen. Now, we saw last week, the entire world is descended from three brothers, right? Ham, Shem, Japheth. So we know that that's the descent plan. But now the whole Bible is going to shift focus. We're going to shift in the book of Genesis to the life of one man and his lineage. Abram will now become that champion. The Bible after Genesis 11 will revolve around Abram, Abram's wife Sarai, and their descendants. Because that is why to this day, when you want to refer to Yahweh, the Jews will say the God of who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name is later changed to Israel, by the way which is why we have the nation of Israel today. So here's the thing. God will always raise up a champion even after some confusions happened. So the world gets messed up. We go through a lineage of these people, but here is God selecting a champion. My question to you is this. Who is the champion of this age? When I was a young man, Billy Graham Seemed to be the answer to everything. That, that man was everywhere doing everything he could. And before him, even you had Billy Sunday, the, the baseball player, who was rough and gruff, but he could preach like nobody else. And before him, you had Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great educator. You had all of these amazing people. And you know what's interesting? Every time a great person, great preacher dies, God raises another. Have you ever noticed that? There is a painting called The Legacy. I wish I had it here today. I wish I could show you that painting. It is of an ordinary, run-of-the-mill pastor in a pulpit wearing a black suit and a tie. He's got the Bible in his hand, and he is preaching. And you can see him very clearly in the front of this painting. But behind him, in muted colors of blue and white, you see the images of the great pastors of the past. These great people who affected, these great prophets of Israel. You can identify each one by their signature look. And in the center of it all is Jesus Christ. Why? It all begins with Jesus. With that Holy Spirit that came on the day of Pentecost. 
And it goes to all of these people. And when they come, they come. And when they die, they die. The Bible never makes hoopla about the death of a righteous man. It simply says he was 205, he died. Or he did this and he died. Because his death isn't important. The death of a single servant of God is not important in the great scheme of things. Why? Because God will always call the next servant. Now it says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his children. God honors the life that is given to him, dedicated to him, lived for him. That will always be true, and the Lord will take care of that. But in this earthly sense, when, when Charles Haddon Spurgeon died, another man stepped up into that pulpit at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in Newington, England, stepped into the house of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, opened the word of God, and you know what? The word of God went on. Why? It's not the man. It is the word. Here it was. He had told them to go into the world. They didn't go. They didn't listen. God separated them. Then, out of that separation, he called Abram. And after him, Isaac. After him, Jacob. After him, you had these incredible people like Moses. You had Joshua. You had Samuel, one of the greatest prophets of his day. Then you go on to Elijah, Elisha. You go on to all the great Old Testament prophets, and then there is silence, and the world is quiet, and people are saying, where is God? What is God doing? Where is he at? Where's the call? And no one knew who was called until a man serving in the temple gets a visitation, came from Gabriel. He says, guess what, old man? Your wife's about to give birth. He's like, yeah, right. And you will call his name John. Now the Jews always used the name of a forebearer, the name of a relative, to pass on that name. There was no John in that family line. This was a new name. This was an unusual child. This child, his birth itself, would change Israel's future. Because he would be born, he would live to 30. And at 30, he would testify to God's goodness for six months. Then he would be jailed. He would be murdered. And even he himself said, here comes the Lamb of God. Takes away the sin of the world. It ain't me, it's him. Follow him. And when he died, Jesus wept. That was his cousin. They were blood. They were family. But the gospel didn't stop with John because John was just one of the people in that lineage. It was all about Jesus. And today, that Bible in your hands, that is the important thing. That is the heart of the church. That is the heart of the gospel. It's no pastor. I watched Charles Stanley today, and I, 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 I am amazed that even though he's retired now two, three years, his stuff is still on TV. He is still preaching. He is still carrying on. But when Charles Stanley dies, I will weep. But the gospel goes on. Billy Graham died. Gospel goes on. One day I will leave. The gospel goes on. Because God is going to raise up a person to stand in this pulpit. He will raise up a voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Did you get that joke, the wilderness outside? Here's the thing. God always calls 
his servants to fill the gap, to step into the void, to do the work. My only question to you is, what are you being called to do? I don't care whether you're young or old. God is calling you to do something, to bear testimony. What is that thing? That's what the first 11 chapters of Genesis are all about. It sets the stage for everything that happens thereafter. Amen? Let's pray. 